Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. And today is the Sunday or the beginning of Easter week. And Jesus knows that he's on his way to the cross. And he knows what he has to face. I'm wondering this morning how many of you remember waving palm branches on Sunday morning in churches. I see some hands, yes. Some of you might have done that in childhood. Some of you might have done it at other churches. I know that I certainly have. And we come in on, sun, on Palm Sunday morning and we receive a, a palm at the, at the door and songs about Hosanna and waving those branches and crafts for the children. And then the scripture passage of Palm Sunday and Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem and the teaching on that as Jesus is on his way to the cross. But I couldn't help but wonder... In our churches, not just Emmanuel, but across Christians, when do we stop waving our palm branches? When do we get so mature, so sophisticated in our religion? When do we stop singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest? And when do we start thinking that we somehow had to keep our emotions about Jesus and the good news of the gospel under wraps and so sedated? I realize some of you do not have those memories of the palm branches. Some of you are newer to your faith. Some might not be familiar with Palm Sunday at all. You may be hearing that message for the first time this morning. But we all need to be uh, reminded, we all need to remember, beginning of Easter week, Jesus on his way to the cross, and that we will let Jesus speak into our hearts here this morning. So I need to pray into that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Thank you for sending your son, your only son, so that we could have relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving the glories of heaven to walk this earth and then to die so that we might know freedom and joy and peace. So Holy Spirit, be here this morning. Fill this place. Hear permission to work in our midst, to touch our lives, to touch our hearts. Jesus, keep me behind the cross. Diminish me that we might hear you speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The passage of scripture that Greg read for us is in all four Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four writers who wrote about uh, Jesus' teachings and his miracles and, and his life here on earth. And just as you and I might go to an event and then we would come back and we would have, we'd have the same story, but we'd have some different details, uh, I encourage you to go to all four Gospels and just read uh, that passage of scripture and how the four Gospels gospel writers talk about it and just bring in some different details. So a great way to spend an hour this afternoon. But I'm using Luke's gospel today and I'm using the New Living Translation. It's been on the screen and a few more verses will be. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open those and follow along. And in the uh, seat in front of you, there are Bibles there. Those are the New International Translation and that's there on page, uh, the scriptures on page 743 in those Bibles. 
And as we look at chapter 19 in Luke's Gospel, it begins with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus searches Jesus out. And Jesus meets with him and goes to his house. And we're told that salvation comes to Zacchaeus' house that very day. And that's where we're going to come to towards the end of this service, how Jesus wants to bring salvation and peace into our lives, into our homes, into where we work. So as we come into this passage of Scripture, we have Jesus making his way from Jericho over to Jerusalem. Some of you have been to the Holy Land. How many have been to the Holy Land? A few hands. I haven't been yet. So I'm using a biblical scholar, N.T. Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. He describes the journey so well as Jesus makes his way towards Jerusalem. Wright tells us it was 17 miles, 27 plus kilometers from Jericho over to Jerusalem. And Wright says that mile after uphill mile or kilometer after uphill kilometer, it still seems like a long way even by car today. So you wind through the sandy hills of Judea that he says is the lowest point on the face of the earth through a Judean desert so you can hear the desert environment and climbing and climbing all the way. And halfway up, you reach sea level. You've already climbed a long way from the Jordan Valley and you still have a fair-sized mountain ahead of you. And it's always hot there, he says. It seldom rains, so it's dusty, hot and dusty. So we can picture that. Jesus leading the way on that long walk and the crowd making its way into Jerusalem because it's a special time of year for the Jewish people. It's their Jewish Passover. It's a, a pilgrimage that they make into Jerusalem. And they anticipate the sense of getting to the top of that crested hill and the relief and the excitement of a cooler air and some lush green growth and it's a beautiful time of year. It is spring. So we need to come into scripture that way and try to feel it and try to experience it as we read it. Put yourself in there, that long, hot journey that we're walking with Jesus. And then Luke tells us that Jesus sends two of his disciples down into a village. Verses 30 to 31. Go into that village over there, he tells them, and as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. The word that Luke uses here is the same word that would be for mission. And we heard Jacob speak this morning of the mission that they went on to New York City. And whether we are sent on a mission to New York City, whether we are sent downtown, around the corner, if Jesus has something that he wants you and he wants me to do, it's important. And that day it was important for those two disciples to do the mission that Jesus assigned to them. And then there are verses that I love so much and verses that have become part of my life scripture. I'm going to talk about those in a few minutes. But I want to encourage you again as you read scripture, grab onto some verses and make them life verses for you. The reading verses 32 to 34. They went and they found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. 
Biblical scholars are not in agreement about this particular passage of scripture. Some say that Jesus put a lot of work into setting up this royal processional. He had been trying to tell the people that he was God's Messiah, that God had promised for centuries, and it was in him, and he was God incarnate in their midst. So some scholars feel that Jesus had gone ahead, set up passwords, had people in place, so when the disciples arrived, it would all come together. But a lot of other biblical scholars say no. Jesus did not make previous arrangements. It shows us that Jesus as Lord is in control or at the very least he has a divine foreknowledge of what is going to happen. So I'd like to stop there for just a moment. What about the two disciples? When they got there, what did they experience when everything was just as Jesus said it was going to be? Everything happened the way he said. Everything was said the way it was, he said it would be said. Did they just stop in their tracks? Thinking, wow, how did he do that? How did he know? Did they learn anything from that moment? Or were they just preoccupied with the task that they had to do? Got the colt, took it back. A lesson right there for us to learn this morning. I don't know if you've had it happen to you. Sometimes as you're going along, and you realize God is putting things in place that only God could put in place. Other times, you get farther along and it's 2020 hindsight, but again, we know that only God could have orchestrated the circumstances for us. I call them Godcidences instead of coincidences, a Godcidence. It's happened to me many times. So these are life verses for me, and God keeps drawing me back to these verses because when I start to fret and I start to worry and I wonder how I'm going to get things done or how things are going to work out, and he just keeps reminding me, Thelma, I've gone ahead before. Will you trust me in this? He's done it so many times. I can be a slow learner at times. But he calls me back. Remember, I've gone ahead. And he loves to do that for each and every one of us. And with him, all things are possible. And he cares about the very big things. And he cares about the smallest detail in your life and mine. When we surrender to him, it will be just as he says. Now the coincidence, he put a devotional into my hands Monday morning. I already had this message very much on my mind and in my thoughts. And there is this devotional. I'd like to share some of the words of it with you. It says, I am the Lord your God. I know no limitations. I know no lack. I need not reserve my stores, for I always have a fresh supply. You can by no means ever exhaust my infinite resources. Let your heart run wild. Let your imagination go vagabond. No extravagance of human thought can ever plumb the depths of my planning and my provision for my children. Rejoice and face each day with joy, for I have planned ahead for you and made all the necessary arrangements and the reservations. I'm your guide, I'm your benefactor. Put your hand in mine. I thought those were beautiful words as I started to plan this morning's message. 
But to continue in our passage of scripture, and you will find as you get to know me that I love to use my imagination when it comes to scripture. And after the first service, a few people shared the same with me. So imagine with me this morning some of the faces, some of the people who would have been in that crowd as they're making their way with Jesus to Jerusalem. Can you imagine the man whose hand was withered? He couldn't use it. And imagine him coming up alongside you and saying, my hand was useless, it was like this. But Jesus said, stretch it out. And it's been fine ever since. Total use of it. Imagine one of Jesus' disciples coming up beside you. We've been with Jesus for three years. We've walked with him. We know he's the real thing. He's genuine. And he's taught us. And sometimes when people didn't understand, he would explain to us parables. We've gone on retreats with him and we've seen every miracle. Or maybe walking beside us in that crowd, along would come blind Bartimaeus, but not blind anymore. And he would tell us how he had sat at the side of the road begging and cried out to Jesus for mercy and Jesus had called him over and given him back his sight. The people who had been crippled had to be carried walking with us. Some who had been covered with leprosy, some who had not been able to hear or speak. And in those days, the religious people blamed others, blamed people for their disabilities, told them that they had sinned, it was their fault. But Jesus had healed them and set them free. Imagine the woman who just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. And when she was found out, she was afraid. But Jesus praised her for her faith. And there would have been children in that crowd and the parents remembering of uh, the disciples trying to stop them from bothering Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, bring the children to me. Took them on his lap, put his hand on their head and blessed them. Outcast of society, everybody accepted by Jesus. Another stop. These are not just stories on the pages of a book. These are real people, lives changed by Jesus Christ. And you and I are real people, and each and every one of us has a story. And I want to thank you again for the stories that you're already sharing with me. He's changed many of your lives. He's changed my life. And he wants to continue changing our lives right here this morning. He loves us so much. So... It's no wonder that as Jesus sat on that colt, the praises began. And they began spreading their cloaks, their outer garments on the road in front of him. And they wouldn't do that lightly. A lot of them would have been poor. And they'd only have the one outer garment. And those roads were dusty and they had jagged rocks. Could mean the end of their, their garments. But they surrendered them with abandon and put them there. And Matthew and Mark and John say that some of the people cut down branches and began to wave them. And the people just burst into songs and shouting. Verse 38 says, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. We sometimes miss that. We just read it. But we, we need to realize that they were singing hymns that they just knew by heart. And they were singing with such gusto verses from the Psalms and singing God's word. And they were victory songs, God's victories. And the donkey in that day in Palestine was not the lowly beast that we sometimes think of here in Canada. It was a noble beast. 
The donkey played a, a very important role in the crowning of kings in Israel's history. God had promised all of this years before through one of his prophets, Zechariah. God had said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He's humble. He's riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. And they were seeing that promise made by God centuries before. They'd been waiting for it, and now it's being fulfilled right before their very eyes. So can we picture this morning Jesus making this royal entry into Jerusalem with the crowd shouting and singing and throwing the garments and waving the branches. But of course, not everyone was doing that. You always have some in every crowd, right? The Pharisees were there. Verse 39, they somehow got up close enough to Jesus and said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And they had the reasons. They were in fear of the Romans who were in charge and in control at that time. If they thought there was any type of an uprising happening, they would squelch it very quickly. But more so, the Pharisees, as religious leaders, were being threatened by Jesus' popularity, by who he said he was. Uh, from a perspective that was all wrong, they could not see that they had everything to gain and absolutely nothing to lose if they would believe in Jesus as Messiah. But they had their laws. They had them all nice and tidy, all categorized by number, by alphabet. They had their laws so tight, their religious laws, that those laws got in the way of the love that God had for them. Those laws got in the way of them loving their God. Those laws got in the way of them loving one another. So bottom line, they were not going to follow this man. Jesus was not going to rule over them, and they tried to stop him. Verse 40 says, this is Jesus' response, if these people kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. I've always thought how much I would love to have a whole lot of stones across the platform and down the aisles right out through the doors. I can't test God in that and ask him to do that miracle for me. Can you imagine on a Palm Sunday if all of a sudden we're all sitting here very prim and proper listening to some preacher give a, a message and stones just started to praise God? Can you imagine it? Can you picture it? But going back to the description that we have from N.T. Wright about that walk from Jericho to Jerusalem, he says that after the climb, after all the dust and the heat, you crest the summit, and there before you, glistening in the sun, is the holy city, Jerusalem itself, on its own slightly um, smaller hill across a narrow but a very deep valley. And Jesus stops. <coughs> And Luke tells us that Jesus begins to weep. Sometimes we read that quite quickly. The scholars tell us Jesus is sobbing. His shoulders are shaking. And he sobs out a few phrases until he can get control of himself. And we might want to say, Jesus, don't do this. You're the Messiah. Don't show a weakness that you might regret tomorrow. We want to say, Jesus, what is it? Are you overcome by the beauty 
what God has created and the beauty of the temple, the gold on the outside of the walls? Are you just tired and emotional? Have you been humbled by these praises? The people are finally recognizing you? And we might wonder, was Jesus thinking about himself at that moment? He had every reason to. On his way into Jerusalem, to the cross, he knows that Judas is going to betray him, that Peter will deny even knowing who he is. He has to face this all alone. His disciples won't even stay awake and pray with him. And then when he's arrested, they just all run, desert him. And the terrible, unbearable pain that's ahead, the inhumane execution of that cross, is that what makes Jesus start, start to cry, to weep? No, Jesus is not thinking about himself. Jesus is weeping for Jerusalem, for God's people. Just as Jesus had gone ahead, made preparations, knew about the cult and what was going to happen, what his disciples would find. Just as Jesus knew what was ahead for him in the days to come, he also knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem's history in the next few years. Decisions of political power that didn't have to happen, but those decisions would lead to that beautiful city being completely destroyed to rubble but with needless pain and suffering for the people. And pain and suffering break the heart of God. But even more, and from verses 42 and 44, Jesus says, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But it's too late, because you did not accept your opportunity for salvation. As he looked out at Jerusalem that day, he would have remembered probably how Pilate had killed so many Galileans in that place, how the Tower of Siloam had fallen there, how he as another Galilean was going to be crucified, and also how in a few years the towers and the walls and the temple itself would all come crashing down. And he tried and tried over and over again to warn them. Yes, God is a God of love, but God is also a God of justice. And over and over again, he had called them to peace, tried to help them understand the way of peace. He was right there with them, God incarnate, God in their midst. And for true lasting peace, they needed to receive him as king. Jerusalem, the city, the temple, the people, they had missed God with them, and they of all people had not understood it meant salvation and peace for their lives. Well, that was the first Palm Sunday, and this is Palm Sunday 2018, and Jesus, God's Messiah, was there at that time in the midst of the people, and Jesus, God's Messiah, is right here in our midst this morning. And he's offering you, and he's offering me, salvation and peace for our lives. And it's not too late. As I prepared for today, I had to ask myself, do I have the peace, the depth of peace that Jesus offers? I had to do some soul searching. And my answer came to yes and to no. 
the yes is that yes I have the peace of knowing that Christ through the cross, the resurrection has called me to himself and I will never be separated from him now and for all eternity I have that peace and assurance but I need to keep growing day by day, moment by moment staying right where he is in his presence to have the peace that I can only have with Jesus Christ some of you this morning may be new Christians and you're on fire for the Lord and I say to you this morning, keep on growing. Be in the word, be in prayer, worship with other Christians, stay close to Jesus and keep growing with him. Some of you have not found that peace at all. Maybe you're hearing about it for the first time or maybe you've been saying no to it. Other things in your life we are having a baptism next Sunday. But maybe he's speaking to your heart this morning, calling you. And some of you have heard the Palm Sunday message year after year, time after time. And you sit faithfully in these seats and you work hard and you serve in the kingdom. But you may have to admit this morning that you've lost the peace of being with him relationship, enjoying him, trusting him. I hope this morning that in your hearts you're saying, yes, Jesus, call me back to that.